We're glad you're part of this sermon series, and it comes to a conclusion today. Uh, first Sunday in this series, just two weeks ago, uh, Casey opened with a sermon on Ehud and told us how in desperate times, uh, that's when God's going to draw us closer to him and give us a victory. Last week, Nick, our student minister, uh, he uh, had the opportunity to preach about Gideon and uh, how Gideon uh, basically teaches us, if you miss the presence of God, you missed it. And uh, that was a good, good, good lesson for us to learn. Today, I have the privilege of taking you back to the book of Judges to talk about the character of Samson and how Samson teaches us a lesson that sometimes as strong as we appear to be on the outside, we are just that weak on the inside. And the only way that we can get by is for God to renew our strength, okay? So before we get into that message this morning, I want to pray with you, and then we'll get started, okay? Father in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thanks for allowing us to come, to be here, to be a part of what you're doing at Chapel Rock, for allowing us to look into your word, and for allowing us to see what we need to see and hear what we need to hear so we can apply those things to our life. And I pray, God, this morning that you will allow us to see the story of Samson in a new way and help us to gain the ability to live life in a productive fashion that will bring glory to your name. And so, Father, I'm just praying that you will be with us as we work our way through your word this morning. Allow us, Father, to learn from you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you know the name of Daniel Dukes. Uh, Daniel Dukes was a young man who um, loved SeaWorld in Orlando. He went there as often as he could. He enjoyed all the things about SeaWorld, but he was especially enamored by the killer whale. Now, the killer whale, five tons, by the name of Tillicum, and uh, he was just enamored by that killer whale. And so he was there uh, in the month of July, 1999, and he decided that when they closed down the park, he was going to stay. Well, that's against the rules. You know, when they close down the park, you're supposed to leave. But he'd been there often enough that he'd kind of looked around and found a place where he could hide and, and figured that nobody would find him there. And so when time came and they made the announcement, everybody needs to leave, that kind of thing, we're going to close the gates, he hid. And they didn't see him. And they didn't find him. And he stayed hidden in that one spot for a couple of hours to make sure the guards and the security people who walked by said, okay, everything's good for the night and locked up and the gates are locked and everything else. And, um, and so he hid. It's Daniel Duke's guy hid and uh, he had a plan. He was so enamored with that killer whale. His plan that night was to swim with the killer whale. And so when he thought it was appropriate time, he snuck out from his hiding place he walked over to the uh, tank where uh, Tilcom is kept. He uh, took off his clothing. He had his bathing suit on. He was planning ahead. And uh, he walked over, climbed over a little gated area, and jumped in to the tank with Tilcom. 
Well, the experts tell you they don't know what happened next. Whether him jumping in the pool at that time of night scared the killer whale and he dove quickly to the bottom of the pool, which they have a tendency to do, and the vortex that was formed sucked Daniel Dukes to the bottom of the pool, or some experts say that Tillicum, a five-ton killer whale, thought Daniel Dukes was a new toy and grabbed a hold of him and drug him around in the water for a pound of time until he figured he was done, and Daniel Dukes, either way, lost his life that night in that pool. The next morning when they showed up to unlock the park, the trainers came out and found Daniel Duke's body laying across the back of a five-ton killer whale. Now the rules said you don't stay in the park. And the rules said you don't get in the tank. And the rules said you don't feed the animals. But Daniel Dukes thought, yeah, I'm a pretty strong swimmer. I'd kind of like to do that. And so he went beyond the boundaries. I've noticed this over years of ministry is that strong men and strong women have a tendency to reject or negate or stay away from or disregard boundaries. People who think they got a better idea. People who think they've got it all together. People who think that, um, that, that those rules, those laws, those boundaries, they don't apply to me. And I have a feeling that there are many of us who have been in that position before where we think we're strong enough and we think we're virile enough and we think we've got it all together that we can just disregard the boundaries that God has put in place and live our lives the way we think we want to live them by our own rules and by our own desires. You're wrong. You're wrong. The scripture found in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, beginning in verse 12 says, So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Or, in some translations, so you can escape. Hmm. And then the Old Testament, Proverbs 18.10, reminds us of this. The Bible says the name of the Lord is a fortified or a strong tower. The righteous run into it into him, and there they are safe. You see, sometimes we think we can go outside of the boundaries and be okay when the Bible tells us that's not okay. That we need to pay attention to the boundaries which God has given us. And that brings us to the story of Samson. Samson was a strong man on the outside I mean, if you know the story, and if you've been in church or around church long enough, you know the story of how strong he was and all the different feats of strength he, he took on and committed and that kind of thing, and yet he was very weak on the inside. He couldn't, he couldn't deal with the lust that he had for flesh. 
and the lust of the eye for foreign women. He, he couldn't do that. And so no matter how strong he was on the outside, on the inside, that's what ruined Samson. And even though he's still listed in Hebrews 11 as one of the heroes of faith, verse 32, his life was ruined because he thought he was strong enough to do things his way, not God's way. And so... If you're not familiar with the story of Samson, it's found in Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. Now, we don't have time to read four chapters of Scripture today. And so I'm going to give you, in a nutshell, the story of Samson. You ready? Put your seatbelts on. Here we go. All right? Okay. In chapter 13, God comes in the form of the angel of the Lord, which we assume is Jesus pre-incarnate. And he announces to Samson's parents, you're going to have a baby boy. And so he tells the mom, you can't eat of the vine, you can't drink of the vine, you can't do any of this. And it all related to the Nazarite vow because from birth, Samson was going to be dedicated to God and his purposes under the Nazarite vow. At the end of chapter 13, you find a verse that says, after Samson grew physically and got to stature of young manhood, it says that the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Hmm. Then you get into chapter 14. Chapter 13 just leads you up to the place where Samson's already kind of a grown man. He takes a trip, goes into a foreign city, a foreign land, and he looks at a woman and goes, woo-hoo, isn't she good looking? And so he decides that's the woman that he wants to marry, even though it's a woman from a foreign land, even though God tells Israel, don't marry outside the nation of Israel. He goes back home. He tells his dad and mom, tells them, not ask them. He tells them, I saw this woman. I want her as my wife. You go and set it up. You go and get her, and I'm going to marry that woman. So his dad says, I don't think that's a good idea, son. In fact, I think that's a bad idea. And here's why. And Samson says, I don't care what you think. I want that woman. And so they go to the foreign land and they set it all up and they get it all arranged and everything else. And then Samson goes home for a while. And when he comes back, he's assigned these different men to be like stand up with him at the wedding. And yet they don't have a lot of good clothes. And so he gives them a riddle and he says, if you can figure out the riddle, I'll get the clothes for you. Well, they can't figure it out. And, um, and so uh, they're saying, you know, we got to figure this, we got to get, get the answer to this because we can't afford to buy the clothing to be in the wedding and that kind of thing. And so what happens is they go to the bride, they're going to be Samson's wife, and says, you got to find out for us. You got to find out the answer. You're the only one that he'll talk to. You find out the answer, tell us, we'll tell him, then he's got to buy the clothes. So she went and persistently asked, and went over and over again asking him for the answer. He gave her the answer. She passed it along to these guys. These guys brought the answer to Samson. Samson was all frustrated because he knew in the text, chapter 14, the only way they could get that answer, they had been with his wife. And so he was really upset. He goes to a neighboring town. He's got to have 30 sets of clothes. He kills 30 men takes their clothes, 
brings them back, and gives them to the wedding party. Now, that wasn't within the will of God either. But Samson was doing things his way by that time. He was out of bounds, outside the boundaries of God. Chapter 15, he then goes, and uh, after he had done this, after he married her, and then he wanted to go back and see her, and he had gone home for a while because he was so uh, hot and angry, he went home, and when he came back, her father says to him, oh, I didn't think you were coming back, so I gave your wife to one of the men that stood up with you at the wedding, but, but, here's her sister. She's better looking anyway. Take her. I know it sounds weird, but that's what they did, you know. Samson said, no thanks. I'm really mad now, and I'm going to get my revenge on these Philistines. So he went and caught a bunch of foxes. Some people say jackals. He tied their tails together, put torches beneath the tails, ran them through the fields, burned up all the crops, all the vineyards, all the olive trees of the Philistine country. Now the Philistines were mad. And so they go to the nation of Israel and say, hey, Samson did this. We want you to turn him over to us. So the Israelite leaders went. Now, I will find this funny. It may not be. They went with a thousand people to talk to Samson. You know, I mean, he has killed people before, you know. So a thousand people, they say, we, we want to just bind you and turn you over. And da, da, da. he goes, okay, here's the deal. I'll let you bind me only if you don't kill me. They said, okay, we swear we won't. So they bound him, and when they turned him over to the Philistines, the Philistines became to, uh, came upon him. They were going to take his life, and he breaks the bounds because in that chapter it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. You're going to see that five times in four chapters. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he rose up, and he took the jawbone of a donkey and killed all these men. And then he doesn't learn his lesson because then he decides to take another trip and he goes into another land in chapter 16 and he sees a woman by the name of Delilah. Ah. Young families, young couples, if you're going to have a family, you're going to start a family and you're going to have a baby girl, do not name that baby girl Jezebel or Delilah. <laughs> That's a bad start. That's a bad start. He falls in love with Delilah. Delilah then again is being manipulated by uh, the, the Philistines and, and they want to get Samson out of the way because he's tearing their country apart. And, and uh, this is over about a 20-year span. And, and so, uh, you know, uh, he starts um, uh, living with her and, and the Philistines are saying, hey, find out what makes him so strong. And so she asked three different times. He lies every time. Oh, if you bind me with this, if you bind me with that, if you do this. And every time he breaks the bounds and beats up people and throws them out and that kind of thing. So finally, and I've always found this interesting, when you read in the book of Judges and you get to chapter 16, finally Delilah's upset, she's crying, she's been asking, she's been asking, she's been asking. And then you find chapter 16, verse 16, it says, With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. I'm not going to expound on that passage right there, okay? So finally he tells her, 
He tells her, it's my hair. You know, it's my Nazarite vow. I took the Nazarite vow. I've never cut my hair. I've never shaved my face. And that's why I am uh, strong. Really, that's not the reason, right? Because God's the one that gives him the strength. But those are symbols of his vow to God. And so she says, okay, and starts stroking his hair. He falls asleep. She calls men. They shave him off. He's now weak. They come in. They grab him. They, they subdue him. And here's the gross part. They gouge his eyes out. They blind him. They take him off, put him in a prison. He's grinding grain. They're making fun of him. They bring him out to mock him. They just, you know, here's the man of God, supposed to be the judge of Israel, who now is under the influence of the Philistines. So the Philistines decide, because they now have Samson, they ought to celebrate by celebrating their foreign god named Dagon, and they have a temple in this city, and so they're going to worship the uh, a false prophet, the false god, Dagon, and so they're going to come for a celebration, and 3,000 of their dignitaries show up. They're up on this portico, on this roof, this porch that overhangs a courtyard, and they say, bring Samson out. We want to make fun of him some more. He amuses us. Let him entertain us. And so they lead him out, and he's underneath this portico, and this servant who's tending with him is with him, and, and, and Samson realizes there's all these people above him. Even though he can't see, he knows this. And he says to this servant, hey, I'm pretty tired. Could you just put my hands on the pillars that are underneath the portico? Could you just do that so I could rest? The servant does it. And then Samson prays one prayer. He says, God, I'm desperate. And I need you now more than ever. Just one more time. Would you give me your power? God hears the prayer. He answers the prayer. Samson pushes the columns out. The whole porch comes down, kills all 3,000 Philistines, leaders of their nation. And it crushes Samson at the same time. At the end of chapter 16, it says that his family, his dad's family, came and collected his body, took it back home, and buried him with family. There's the story of Samson. Not real encouraging, is it? But there are six lessons that we need to learn from Samson's life. Six lessons that we need to draw upon so we won't make the same mistakes. Okay? And here's lesson number one. Samson was a man of great promise and great potential. If you look in chapter 13, it basically tells you that God was preparing Samson for a very, very special service. That's why he was a Nazarite from the very time he was born. God was preparing him. God was putting him together. God realized what he wanted to do with him. And in fact, if you look up in Luke 1, it tells you that John the Baptist was, had the Nazarite vow from the beginning of his life as well. 
Samson was chosen by God. He was prepared by God. God was planning to do something special with him. And that's why at the end of chapter 13, it says that the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Has the spirit of the Lord ever stirred you? Did you know that in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, it says that everybody who gives their life to Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of God then gives them a spiritual gift? God has a gift for you. God has a gift to place in you. But He wants you to use that gift for Him. Not to go out and... And, and entertain people, not to go out and, and, and make fun of others, not to go out and, and use your gift to, to even make money, although you might use it, but to use it for him. And God is raising up Samson, and he raised up John the Baptist, and he raised up others in the Scripture because the Spirit of the Lord stirred them. They had great potential. And great promise. Do you? Yes, you do. Secondly, Samson was a man of great power. I mean, it wasn't just his hair. It was the fact that God gave him that strength. God is the one that delivered to him those things. In fact, if you read the story of Samson in the book of Judges, here are the things that he was able to do because he was strong. He killed the lion barehanded. How many of you ever killed a lion barehanded? Raise your hand. Anybody? Nobody? Oh, yeah, somebody down here said she has. I don't believe that. Okay. He killed a lion barehanded. He slayed 30 Philistines. He caught 300 foxes or jackals, put torches on their tails. He broke every bond that was put on him except the last one. He killed 1,000 men with a jawbone of a donkey. He carried off the city gates of Gaza. Now, if you read the text... It says he pulled him up, the city gates, posts and all, and carried him to the top of the hill and put him there. And then he destroyed an entire Philistine building when he pushed the columns out. And if you read chapter 16 and verse 24, it says there, it intimates that he probably did more than that because it says there that he was laying waste to the Philistine land. There's more that he was doing. But there's something you need to understand about Samson's power, and you need to understand about the power that God gives to you. Samson's power was a weapon to fight with, and it was a tool to build with, but it was not a toy to play with. God gives you gifts, and God gives you energy, and God gives you the ability to do certain things, and that's not something you toy around with. That's something you use to His glory. You fight for him, and you fight against evil with it. And you build others up with it, but you don't toy around with it. And that's what Samson was doing. The third lesson is pretty simple as well. Samson was a man of unreliable character. (laughs) Unreliable character. Yeah, he he wasn't the guy that you thought he was going to be, you know, at times. I mean, if you read the story, he goes from being, growing up in the family, all of a sudden telling his dad what to do and his mom what to do and breaking the vows of God and breaking his Nazarite vows and just getting out of bounds totally. Why? 
because he didn't listen to God and he didn't listen to his dad. He didn't take on good advice. How about you? I did some digging around and I found this quote from Lou Holtz, the legendary coach at Notre Dame. And um, he said, my athletes always follow my advice unless it conflicts with what they want to do. <laughs> Isn't that Samson? Oh, he always followed God's advice until it wasn't what he wanted to do, you know. And then I found these pieces of advice that you might want to take on sometime. I dug around, found these. I thought they were pretty good. Number one, when you're depressed, listen to country music. The people in the songs will always be more messed up than you are. <laughs> right? Number two, don't worry about flunking algebra. In real life, there's no such thing as algebra. Okay? <laughs> I got in trouble with two math teachers after first service, so, you know. <laughs> Number three, always buy your parents nice gifts. After all, you don't want to inherit junk. Number four, if you're having trouble opening a childproof bottle, leave it in a room with a child. They'll take care of it. Okay. And number five, I really like this one. I'm not a cat person. Don't bother naming your cat. He's not going to come when you call him anyway. So, you know. Isn't that true? Cats are just that way, you know. Uh, yeah. It was also Albert Einstein who said this. He said there are only two things that are infinite in life, the universe and human stupidity. And I'm not sure about the universe. <laughs> he is sure about human stupidity. And one of the things that we don't do well is we don't take good advice well. We don't even take the advice of God sometimes. In fact, I want you to learn this. And I want you to ask this question. I want to ask this question of you. Do you ignore good advice to prove that no one can tell you what to do? I mean, even if somebody gives you the best advice you've ever heard in your entire life, you're so stubborn and so particular about you that you're going to ignore it because you don't want anybody to tell you what to do. Samson ignored the advice of God and he ignored the advice of his father. And he went down the wrong path. Don't do that in your life. Here's lesson number four. Samson also was a man of questionable passion. You know, that questionable passion can get you in trouble at times. Sometimes it fuels you to do things that, that you, don't even, you don't even think are smart either, but you do them anyway because that's your passion. So I dug around and I found that some lawmakers in certain states were so passionate about certain things that they voted and put these things into law in their state because they were passionate about it. Did you know that in the state of Alabama, it's illegal to drive a car while you're blindfolded? It's on the books. It's on the books. In the state of Connecticut, it's illegal to walk across a street on your hands. Okay. In the state of Illinois, a neighboring state, it is illegal to give a lighted cigar to a dog, a cat, or any other domesticated animal. <laughs> Why would you do that to begin with? You know? 
In the state of Massachusetts, it's illegal to snore with your bedroom windows open. My guess is there was a legislator who lived next to a guy who really snored, you know. In the state of Oklahoma, it's illegal to make ugly faces at a dog. I mean, what do they do in Oklahoma? I mean, it's, you know. And here's the best one, and I made sure that Phyllis Caldwell heard this in the first service. In Kentucky, it is illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your pocket. It's illegal. You can't do that, you know. Not in the state of Kentucky, anyway. So there are questionable passions in this world, right? The question for you is, what are you passionate about? Because Samson, he just wanted to get even with the Philistines. He just wanted to take revenge on them for what they were doing. He was all about vengeance. He was all about getting back at them. He was all about getting even or beyond. And his passion, his lust of the flesh and lust of the eye and his pride of life were destroying him. In 1 John, the second chapter, in verse 16, you find this. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that comes not from the Father, but it comes from the world. You want, you want to fail? You want to fail miserably in life? Then go down that path. And that's exactly what Samson did. His passions destroyed him. Here's lesson number five. Samson was also a man of self-centered focused. He, he was focused on self. He was focused on what he wanted to do. He was focused on, on the fact that he thought he was right all the time, and he didn't care what anybody else thought, and he was going to do that and do it on his own time, in his own way, and he was full of pride. You know what the Bible says about that? In the book of Proverbs, it covers it, but I'm going to give you three verses. Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Then again in, verse, in chapter 16, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit goes before a fall. And then again in, verse, in chapter 17, whoever loves a quarrel loves sin, and whoever builds a high gate invites destruction. In other words, whoever builds a high gate, whoever thinks they're right all the time, is full of pride. Now I want to tell you something, I want you to listen very carefully. Pride and religion often go together. But pride and worship never do. Because worship ultimately is an act of humility. Pride and humility cannot live in the same body. Pride and humility cannot be in the same heart and the same mind. You want to worship God? You want to stay in his boundaries? Then humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And in due time, he will lift you up. That's what the Bible says. Okay? And so that's what we need to do. And in that situation, you need to understand that Samson's agenda became more important than God's 
agenda. That's not right. If you ever find yourself thinking your things and your ways and what you want to do are more important than what God wants to do in your life, you are wrong. You need to follow God's agenda. You need to stay in his bounds. You need to serve out of his love. That will give you a good life. Okay, now here's number, number six. Here's number six. This is the good one. This is the one that should encourage you. Samson was also a man of renewed dedication to God. Do you remember at the end of the story? He's embarrassed. He's being mocked. He's blinded. He has nothing left in life. And he does what? In desperation, he cries out to God. How many of you have been there? That in desperation, you don't know what else to do. You don't know where else to turn. You don't know of anybody who's given you an answer that, that, that even came close. And in desperation, you've gotten down on your knees or on your face, laying straight out on the floor, and you've gone before the Father in heaven, and you've asked him just once more, God, give me the strength to do what I need to do. God hears those prayers. God hears the prayers of the repentant and the humble. And God heard the prayer of Samson. And with one more feat of strength, he brought down the entire porch, killed everybody there, including him. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should end your life that way. What I'm suggesting is that when you're desperate, you better turn to God. When you're at the end of your rope, you better turn to God. When you don't know what else to do and where else to turn, you need to go to God and allow God to renew your strength. That's what you need to do. It's pretty simple. It's the lesson you can take from Samson. I don't know how many of you are, are familiar with the story of Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig was a Major League Baseball player, uh, played in the 30s up into almost the 40s, uh, played many seasons in Major League Baseball, was an outstanding player. He received the nickname the Iron Horse because he played 2,130 consecutive games without being out of the lineup. The Iron Horse, the strong man of baseball, and yet, in, in 1939, he came down with a weakness of muscles and he was diagnosed with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, which is now known as Lou Gehrig's disease. The doctors told him they didn't know what to do and they didn't know what would happen. He began to lose the function of his legs. He began to lose the ability to handle baseball. He had to retire and get out of the game and, and that kind of thing. But on July the 4th in 1939, he stood in front of 60,000 fans at Yankee Stadium. And he said, fans, for the past two weeks, you've been reading about a bad break I got. Yet today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. What? 
He goes through a whole list of people he's gotten to know in his baseball career. He's very grateful for them. He goes through teams that treated him so well over the years that he was competing against. And then he writes this. He says, when you have a wonderful mother-in-law who takes sides with you and squabbles against her own daughter, that's something. And he says, when you have a father and mother who work all their lives so that you can have an education and build your body, that's a blessing. And when you have a wife who has been a tower of strength and shown more courage than you dreamed existed, that's the finest thing I know. So I close in saying that I might have had a tough break, but I have an awful lot to live for. Less than two years later, in June of 1941, the Iron Horse, Lou Gehrig, died. He left behind a 340 lifetime batting average, 493 home runs, 1,990 runs batted in. But his most worthy contribution to the human race has nothing to do with baseball. In a world full of Samsons, Lou Gehrig reminds us that strong men can indeed be humble and grateful. The Bible speaks to that very clearly. In 1 John, the third chapter, you see these verses. And this is the command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. And the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. When the spirit of the Lord stirs within you. 1 John 5, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 1 Corinthians 15 then says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Hmm. Strong men and women have a tendency to disregard boundaries. Don't do that. You pay attention to what God teaches you. You pay attention to the lessons from Samson. And you live your life within the bounds of God's will. And that is how you'll live with victory, is in Jesus Christ. Now today, I'm sure there's somebody here saying, you know what, Pastor Fred, I've never made that decision to follow Jesus. I've never given my life to him. I've never, I've never made that confession of faith. I've never started that path. I've never done that. And yet my life is a true mess. Yeah, I know. Because you can't live life 
outside of Jesus Christ and be successful. Can't do it. So maybe today is the day you walk down these aisles and you make that confession of faith. Or maybe you're here today and you gave your life to Jesus years ago, but you haven't been doing so hot. You know, you're kind of like Samson. Yeah, part of the time I am and part of the time I'm not. And part of the time I did, and, and all of a sudden you're doing your own thing. And your agenda in life has become more important than God's agenda for you. That's wrong. Maybe today you need to come and pray on the steps and ask for God to renew your strength and allow you to once again live for him. I don't know what it is you need to do. But if you need to do something today, do it today. Don't wait. Don't put it off. You do it today. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to sing a decision song in Christ alone. And while we sing, if you want to make a decision, you come. We'll have people who will talk to you down here. Okay? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the lessons we learned from your word. And thank you for the lessons we learned from Samson. Now, Father, not all of them are good. But they can be things that turn us back to you. So, Lord, help us to learn to always come to you. Even in desperation, to cry out. And I know you'll hear that prayer. And so, Father, be with those needing to make decisions. May your spirit move upon them. May your spirit encourage them. May your spirit challenge them. Father, may they come in their humility and in their weakness so you can make them strong. I'm just praying this. In the powerful and precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, amen and amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us today this decision song? If you need to make a decision today, you come down front. We'll help you do that today.